My novel Finding Home is available for purchase on February 20th in everywhere that books are sold. One reader called it a spiritual experience embedded in pure drama. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. Tell a fantastic story, but reveal all the layers of spiritual truth that were in the prodigal son parable when Jesus told it. But we miss it with our Western eyes. You will be amazed at the Father's incredible love for you. You can find out more on my website, susankamacias.com backslash finding dash home. Welcome, friend. Do you find yourself with an empty nest and a faded vision? Then you're in the right place. God still has a calling and mission for us in the second half of our lives, because you know what? We're not done yet. So join me, Susan Macias, author, speaker, and empty nest mom, and let's explore how our family, our church, and our world needs us. Welcome to episode three, where we're going to ask the question, can we be disqualified from still being of use to the Lord? You know, there's a problem with being on the other side of the hill that no one warned me about. Every horrible mistake I've ever made through my life remains front and center in my mind. I mean, I can't remember why I come into the living room, the name of longtime friends escape me, but my big fat failures, those I can recite with exquisitely accurate detail. So we come to our question, can we mess up so badly that we are of no more use to God? I mean, we might be forgiven and all, but are we disqualified? Might not lose our salvation, but are we no more use? To enter work in the second half of our lives, we need to know the answer of that question. Let's look at some moments in a biblical hero's life that should answer this for us. If we look at David's life, we see what happens when he did a lot of things right and failed pretty big time quite a few times as well. So if we go to 2 Samuel We see his history. One of the biggies that we know about is that David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And when he did that, she became pregnant and he got nervous. So he arranged her husband to be put on the very front lines of a charge that ensured that he would be killed. And at that point, David said, fine, good, great. We'll just grab Bathsheba, bring her into the castle, and she'll join my wives. She'll be another one. Nobody will ever know. Of course, God knew. God sent Nathan the prophet to prove to him that God saw every single thing. At that point, Bathsheba lost this baby that had been um, conceived in adultery, and David just grieves. And so that's one of the biggies. Now, we do know that later in their marriage, Bathsheba and David become pregnant again, and her son this time is a young man named Solomon, who God was going to use. We see in David's family major family dysfunction. Of course, when you hear how many wives he had, it's not really surprising that there was major family dysfunction. Um, But I'm not going to put today's standards on how kings of old behaved in order to secure rule of the land. But David had all of the issues that would come from many wives and many children, and he failed to discipline his sons. One of his sons, Amnon, was a particularly unsavory dude who committed the sin of rape and incest at the same time when he raped 
his sister, his half-sister. Her full brother was Absalom, who was just so angry, of course, that his sister had been treated such. But David failed to discipline his sons. And because of that, this sin just sat untaken care of. It also bred bitterness in Absalom's heart. So later on, Absalom reads, leads a rebellion to usurp David's throne. And it gets very bad. He ends up, really, Absalom becomes more powerful. David flees the capital with his loyal army, his the loyal people. And there's a great battle. His general Joab leads the battle. And at the end of the battle, many of his own soldiers were dead. Obviously, the, the rebels were dead, and his son, the major rebel, Absalom, was dead. And at that moment, instead of grieving for the people that had supported him, David grieves inconsolably for Absalom, to the point that he's making everybody mad. They, don't, they can't even believe. They have sacrificed their own sons, their own husbands, for a man who grieves for the rebel instead of for their heartbreak. And we see that this just builds this great anger, this great resentment that, again, David has to come out from under. Then he ignores Joab, his his counselor in general, through all of his reign. He ignores Joab's advice and ignores God's law and decides to take a national census. And this was very strictly prohibited, but he did it anyway. I don't know. I guess he thought, hey, I'm king. I can do what I want. But what happens? God sends a deadly plague that infects the people. David has to repent, has to, all kinds of things happen. It builds resentment in Joab, and he really loses his closest friend and ally. You hear all that? And when I list all that, I think David was a mess. But you know what else? He is the king that God started a lineage that would result in in Jesus. He is the king that God gave the plans for the temple to. All through David's reign, they the people worshiped th- with the tabernacle, the tabernacle that they had brought always with them all the way through the 40 years of wandering. They knew that God wanted to build a house for his name, and God gave David the plans. Now, because he'd been a man of war, he didn't get to build the temple, but he had the plans. He was also a musician, and he added to this daily liturgy. He organized the service that would be used by the Levites and priests for generations after him. He wrote song after song praising God, some complaining to God, some talking about repentance, just all of the emotions that we see in Psalms. Many, many of them were written by David, and the honesty of those Psalms shows us how openly, we can bring our heart to God. Psalm 51, which was written after his sin with Bathsheba, clearly describes repentance, describes that asking God for a clean heart in faith that God can and will do that. And that was because of his sin, he was able to see and then give to us this incredible lesson of repentance. Not only that, he accumulated what his son Solomon would need to build the temple. So he'd received the plans from the Lord and he gathered together the materials from all over that while he couldn't build the temple, he could enable his son to build the temple. 
you know, if you look at the balance of those things, it's easy to say, well, I guess maybe his good outbalanced his bad, but you know what? That's not how God works. Praise God. We're not trying to even everything out. His sins were fully his sins. He had to repent. He had to be forgiven. And his work was fully his work. It's what he did. It was his legacy. God had a generational vision for David, and some of that was fulfilled. Some of it failed because of his um, lack of really entering in with his sons and training them. But much of it through Solomon and following generations was an amazing legacy for the house of David. So what do we see as lessons that can now apply to us? Okay, great. We've had this lovely little Bible lesson back through David's biblical history. But what does that mean for us? Because can we be disqualified? What do we learn from David? You know, the first thing that I learned that gives me, I'll admit, a little bit of consolation. People who love the Lord greatly still can mess up colossally. I mean, David did some really bad stuff, and he really also loved loved God. You know, for me, I think, oh gosh, if I'd really love God, I'd never mess up. But that is not what God records in his word. It's just what do we do with the mess ups when they happen? Because that's the next lesson. After mess ups and sins and failures, and they happen, we're going to have to repent. We're going to have to rebuild. We're going to have to go to God, open it all up, be honest before Him, and let Him do the next work. And we get to praise God that every morning His mercies are new. So when we wake up that day after we finally admitted that we've messed up and we need God's hand, new mercies. And let's get going. Because that's third lesson. After repentance comes the next assignment. Every time that we mess up, we go back, we repent, and we go back to the drawing board with the Lord. What do you want me to do? The other thing I see in David's life is that faithfulness matters. You know, I'm so grateful that God did not record only the things that David did right. But we see how important faithfulness is, because if David had remained faithful through some of those things, how much better his kingdom would have been in the long run. And that I must not grow lazy in pursuing God. Just because some success has happened, I shouldn't stop pursuing God. Just because a horrible, disqualifying feeling of a failure has happened, I mustn't Stop pursuing God by repentance and going to Him and asking Him for a clean new heart. So the crystal clear answer is no. No matter what we've done, we're not disqualified. We have work to do. We're not done yet. So let's answer the call and get busy. Let's ask the Lord, where do you want me to go and what do you want me to do? Because I'm your servant, I've messed up, I repent. And I ask you to create in me a clean heart to be of service to you. Sister, remember, we're not done yet. Hey, thanks for joining me today. If you want to continue the conversation, hop on over to my website, susankmacias.com, and look for the blog post that goes with today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to share it with a friend someone who needs some encouragement to pursue God's call in the second half of her life. And what about you? What's Jesus calling you to do? Be brave. Take a baby step. Do the next thing. Because you're not done yet.